Hi, and I really want to give it a, a huge and warm welcome to my wonderful guest today that I am so super excited to chat to in our native island, Orla O'Sullivan, who's living in Dublin at the moment, who mm -hmm. has the most amazing mindfulness practice that I have been watching. And she has been doing things that I dream of will be coming my way. So welcome, Orla O'Sullivan. Oh, thank you so much for uh, for having me for hosting me today. Oh no, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very excited. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> right. So let you begin because I'm here to listen to you. I am just dying to hear. There's a few things I want to ask you, but maybe introduce yourself first, and then I can ask you um, so much to ask that I just <laughs> have to go. <get> <laughs> that sounds good. Great. Well. Um, yeah, my name is Orla. I grew up in Ireland, in Dublin, and um, and I so now I, I share the practice of mindfulness full time, and um, I came to the practice over twenty years ago uh, in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh Plum Village. So I kind of just I was lucky. I tripped over it early, yeah. and uh, it made an immediate connection with me. Like made a like very practical sudden difference in my life in terms of my work and my relationships how i can take care of kind of my habit suffering my yeah. anxiety or anger so it helped me yeah really notice how to be able to care for suffering and also how to deliberately nourish um happiness and wholesomeness mm. so that's something that has just been growing ever since about how we can um kind of take an uh, be active participants in our sense of well-being and connection and um, deliberately nourish our joy and gratitude and wonder and so um, yeah so these days I work with anyone anywhere anytime um, with lots of volunteer community groups that I um, it's you know it's very kind of in my marrow to support grassroots community organizations yeah. and um, yeah it's about helping to build happier communities so, so kind of, I've had lots of different strands of um, life, a lot to do with education, human rights, um, and kind of, yeah, creating effective communities. So it's kind of all come together in this melting pot. Yeah, yeah as you said, like, yeah, you can, I can see, and I, I also feel like how, I'm like at the infant stage of what you're at, but I can, <laughs> I'm your baby. <laughs> I'm like you can totally see and that really excites me what you're saying is like because it is completely all connected like you said human rights getting down to grassroots that whole societal change and connection and I also and that's that's really where my passion lies as well so we're gonna have to meet I'm so like, <laughs> the other side of the world and um and how you said also there what I resonated with is like the deliberate um, choice to to practice or to mm. you know that um, it is something that one makes a choice to do deliberately intentionally on purpose and I love the way your path has unfolded but tell me how did but you said you kind of stumbled upon Thich Nhat Hanh 10, 10 years ago 20 years ago you said 20 i know we said it's in like 10 year blocks whatever how, yeah. how did that happen like i mean so it came so i guess since i was a child i i was very um i remember reading as a child you know a quote from a, a book in the house that said the unconsidered life is not worth living and i remember being like blown away i remember understanding that there were dog years and human years and that the likelihood was that our family dog penny who was my best friend would yeah. probably die before i would and when i was about eight years old i got a photo of her and i put it by my bedside locker so that when i would wake in the morning i would know this is a day that i get with penny this is a good day okay. and yeah. and ever since then i've just been like so so early i had that um volition to not miss like to not miss out. I remember being a, a teenager and there was an Elvis Costello song that said, um, you know, there's a phrase, living a life that is almost like suicide. Okay. And, and I can see that a load of us were on autopilot a lot of the time. And it, it takes something like a big shock or a diagnosis 
or an accident and then suddenly everyone seemed to wake up for a little while yeah. and then we went back to sleep again and yeah. kept them scurrying away and um and it didn't seem to make us any happier so there was a load of kind of things that i gleaned when i was a child and teenager and my mum had a yoga book like a bbc yeah. a tv series book from the 60s and at the back of it there were breathing exercises so like i did the book and then i came to the breathing exercise i was like breathe in through one nostril mm. breathe out through the mm. it's like, mm, this makes my body feel totally different like yeah like instant soothing yeah. and um so then from there the, the dalai lama had uh, started writing he wrote a book called the art of happiness yes so i kind of yeah so so i had this regular practice of doing little bits of presence-based meditation mm. and um and the dalai lama's his ability to be well and joyful in unbelievably having been through such trauma and difficult circumstances yeah. caught my curiosity and then i was in kind of that section of a bookstore in grand haven michigan in the late 90s and um and i opened up a book by Thich Han called the miracle of mindfulness oh, okay i read like a sentence and it felt like oh okay i'll come home now that's it yeah. and um yeah and i remember buying two books so one was the miracle of mindfulness and one was called the blooming of a lotus which is a book of guided meditations and the first page is just like breathing in i know i'm breathing in yeah breathing out you know i'm breathing out and that was about a year's work like i was just like i read the whole of the other book but but this blooming of a lotus i was like i'm just gonna do that till i really get it and that was about a year that i turned yeah. it yeah yeah <laughs> so, so it was quite um i was quite slow going like i allowed it loads of time and i loved this in in this practice like there's nothing to achieve you literally have nowhere to go and nothing to do so, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is great because my instinct is to like get somewhere it's a very linear model and getting better and mm. um, and actually this really helped me to notice um the kind of clinging grasping achieving part of me and to let me practice just to practice yeah you know, with, that, that's what I, yeah 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 because that's that's what we're taught is to to actively do and this is a a, a shift um and to achieve and the rat race and you you by this age you need this this and you need this is how you need to be this is what you got to do so it's a mind shift to and and it changes your whole um internal state and your well-being when you can just be mm -hmm. and um and that's yeah it's so I like also I love when you when you said then you know there's you could say there's nowhere to go so and there's no I this is a book and I'm just going to read it and it'll all make sense it's actually the embodying and practicing and the most what can be perceived as the most simple little techniques so oh, I'm breathing breathing out yeah right whatever I do that anyway but it's actually embodying it and um taking it on that you go like you said with your breathing it's like whoa is this what it means <laughs> you know and every day you do it um and like you said it, it becomes deeper and deeper the, the the more profound effect and that's what i'm loving now yeah. yeah it's wonderful and as you say like the quality is how to be like we're not human doings we're human beings so yeah we need to yeah. know how to be and, it, and i think sometimes we have a fear that if we if we learn how to do that then maybe we won't achieve anything and we'll just become big lazy couch people and what tends to happen is that we can we have the capacity to do even more because our energy is safer and because there's intention and meaning in yes. every action that we do so we're a little more careful with what we're doing mm. so yeah I, I do i find it um yeah transformative and i still do lots <laughs> yeah it's made me more engaged not less uh, engaged. oh totally for me too it's it's made me happier i'm achieving so much more um i don't see boundaries anymore i don't see limits um oh it's incredible no so it definitely does not it does the opposite of making you just sit around being lazy it's the complete opposite yeah yeah and i think that often um um you know our ego can slide in between us and our practice quite easily um that 
that part of us then starts judging it, you know, as there was a good sit, there was a bad sit, yeah. it was really boring. And, um, and it kind of, I can sense sometimes like this tightening into an achieving mode again. So yeah. it's a lovely practice to just keep kind of unfolding out and unfolding out. Mm. And um, yeah, and I think a lot of us come to the practice because of personal suffering. So it tends to be quite a, an inward looking, um, uh, activity at the beginning and then something softens and you realize that there is no um, difference and that you know and then we experience a much more profound sense of connection and belonging and um, feeling isolated is quite difficult like I you know feeling like alone it's it's such a delusional um, state to think to believe yeah so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful journey and that's why we believe everybody should <laughs> should practice yeah you know yeah and yeah, tell, yeah. for me um because sometimes i'll work with people who go well maybe it's easy for you like maybe you're naturally just a hammock person but like i think a lot of thoughts so is it possible for me so one of the things that i'm, I'm really curious about is how to how to meet people exactly where they are, you know? So yeah. because because there are times where we're naturally incredibly mindful, you know? There are times where, like even like getting into a bath or something, it's almost impossible to do that and not be mindful. There's just so much sensory information that we give ourselves to. Or like the first day of being on a holiday where you get to maybe sit back in a lounger or sit in a cafe and you have this like <sighs> arrived moment, you know? Yeah, and, and that's... Go ahead. Yeah, that's because you've given yourself that permission. You yeah. said, now this, this is now me just being here without actually realizing what you're doing. This is now allowing myself, oh, first day of my holiday, oh, this is my bath, or like, oh, this is my time, my cup of tea. So we're actually doing it often and knowing how good that feels, but actually not being aware of that being what we're doing. Yeah. And it's the moment of, um, of awareness and a little bit of reflection that I think is what makes it um, kind of strengthens that muscle in our in ourselves and makes it easier to come home and come home again and again that we need just a little bit of reflection on us to go how does it feel before I go for a walk or a run or sit for 10 minutes how do I feel before and then how do I feel afterwards and is that more pleasant or less pleasant like yeah anyone ever regretted going for a run or sitting for 10 minutes you know but we just forget just forget that it's a good thing yeah yeah exactly the reflection that's really really good point yeah, yeah. and i think it's because our brain is just naturally much more interested in the problems you know our brain is just fascinated with all the ways that this moment is slightly substandard and not exactly the way i want it so yeah so, or yeah or yeah. we've had a moment and now we're, we're moving on. We're just yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Go. And, and if we don't have that reflection part of it, mm. physiologically, it's as though it never happened in our body, which is why, you know, one difficult moment can actually, we can interpret that as a really difficult day because we don't hold the wholesome states. So we just need to learn how to make them a little more like Velcro, you know? Yes. You can go, oh, like, this is what it feels like to feel at ease and safe and connected and keep reminding ourselves this is what it feels like. Yeah, to savor, to savor the feeling so it really becomes ingrained and embedded in your being. Yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah. So you, you have a practice there from your home, do you? Or do you, and you also go out, um, as you like like me you go wherever you're yeah yes anyone anywhere anytime yeah so i do yeah so i um so often we have i guess first i'll start with sangha which are community groups yes. and um there are uh, maybe over 30 now in ireland so sangha is in the tradition of plum village and you know a sangha means a group of friends on the path so people come yeah. together and practice together just to practice together and nourish understanding and love. Sounds like a cult. <laughs> and <laughs> it seems a little too happy. <laughs> but, um, no, but so it's, really yeah. Kind. Yeah, really kind people. And, um, and because, you know, probably 95% of our suffering comes from being in, in relationship with people. 
um, then it's really important. It's a great way of trying to heal some of our strong habits and our strong um, suffering to be able to come into Sangha and then be yourself authentically just as you are and then begin to take care of all those kind of pointy parts of us um, to really, yeah, allow ourselves to belong very imperfectly. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and so I work with Sangha um, in Ireland and uh, travel to other countries. Um, and then I offer public courses. So we do courses on many different aspects of mindfulness and day retreats on um, mindfulness and poetry. So I use poetry a lot in my practice. Do you write your own poetry? I do, yes, I do write um, little bits now and then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not kind of consistently often. Um, but I, yeah, so I have a few kind of poems that I've just kind of soaked in on yeah. my own stuff and then other people's poetry that I, yeah. um, again, like there's this deliberate aspect of practice. Mm. I deliberately walk with a poem or sit with a poem to help um, kind of take me off autopilot and come very deeply into this moment yeah no beautiful yeah. i love i love i write well when i say i write i've also written poems and i, I just love that um it's it's just a beautiful way of um yeah with words and feelings and, and just bringing it all it's yeah it's something very beautiful about poetry yeah yeah and it's so immediate as well it short circuits um a lot of our kind of habitual thinking yeah, so yeah. I think a lot of us as kids, you know, there was this memory of loving the playfulness of sound and language and the fun of rhyme um, or a great song that we loved when we were a child. And then sometimes in school, it's kind of just taught out of us that we're sitting there going, what is the theme? Identify the rhyme pattern. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not so fun anymore. So, um, so we really kind of de-intellectualize it. So when we practice yeah. the poems, um, you know, we sense that our intellectual mind takes over the first time we're listening to a poem. So we'll receive a poem many times until our intellectual mind goes, I know this or I don't know this, or oh, I'm a bit bored. And then it kind of just gives up and then you can really soak yeah. in the poem. Yeah, so, it's actually, yeah, it's lovely. I, I actually read a lot of poems now as well. And because um, I find that often we've got so much written text, there's so much out there that, like a little poem can get so deep so quickly into what you want you know to achieve say without having like wads and wads of paperwork to go through you know it's so true it gets deeper quicker yeah oh lovely i'll have to look out for some of your work <laughs> and then so and you've been to plum village and thank you so much for sharing over the new year on your, you went to oh, yeah. You should. I was thinking, yeah. So I was thinking, have you forgotten? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I love reading your posts. So tell us about that trip, please, if you would share. So Plum Village is a mindfulness uh, practice center in um, the south of France, between Bordeaux and uh, Bergerac, and it was set up by Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh um, shortly after he became exiled from Vietnam. So after the end of the Vietnam War. And now it's the largest Buddhist community in the Western world. And um, you can go and live uh, in a monastery for a week or two weeks, or oh. I, I live there normally for about two months a year. I'm okay. in community. And um, it's a very simple uh, life. So it's not kind of like a Vipassana meditation retreat where you might spend six or eight hours a day on a cushion. We sit, um for about 40 45 minutes morning and evening and then the rest of the day we're just living mindfully so yeah. we're, the community walks together and um, prepares food um we listen to dharma talks we do deep relaxation we Love eat together you. we wash our dishes like it's very it's not rocket science but it really helps to strengthen the muscles of monotasking you know that we multitask all the time and this it gives you space to like it's a very beautiful environment to be in so it gives you space to enjoy time in nature to rest your body to notice mm -hmm. the sheer amount of tension that builds up yeah uh, to be in community to mm -hmm. share authentically and um and i'm international coordinator for one of the plum village projects called wake up schools 
which is another grassroots organization that is international. And it, it seeks to realize uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's vision of mindfulness and education. So mm -hmm. we work to support anyone involved in kind of the ecosystem of education around the world. So whether you're a school bus driver in the States, um, and actually we work with one school bus driver in the States, and she <laughs> a poem, um, which is a poem before she gets on the school bus. So Ooh. she's written herself a little gatha, which is a little two line or four line poem. And she will practice before she gets on the bus so that when she steps on, before she opens the door for the kids, she's really deeply present for them and knows what she's doing and why she's doing it. And it changes everything a little bit. It does. So, yeah, yeah, it really does. So we work, so we have a, a retreat usually at New Year's in Plum Village for teachers. And they'll come from maybe, I don't know, 30 different countries. And everyone comes to practice together for a week. And the retreats are always about embodiment, that mm. often on day one, teachers arrive and they have like a notebook and a pen and they're ready, learning objectives, outcomes, you know, maybe they've got some funding from their principal to come there. So they're like, I need to have something to take back. Yeah, yeah. And we spend day one going, it's okay to put down your notebook. Like, there is nothing that you're going to miss, like I promise. So we really spend a few days on just allowing the teacher to really learn to care for themselves. Yeah. The body, to notice how they're feeling, and then to rest. And then slowly we, um, and quite slowly, like we really spend a lot of time on embodying. And then we do a little bit of play on learning to share the practice. Because really, of all the things that we teach as teachers, our greatest teaching is our presence. And that's really what children remember. Like, they don't remember quadratic equations. Like, they remember that was a nice teacher who yes. believed me, who yes. encouraged me when I was feeling I'm never going to be able to do this who celebrated with me when I had my wins, you know? That's what we remember about how grown-ups um, treat us. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we help support teachers in every possible kind of environment um, to take care of themselves mm. so that they can take care of others. Totally. No, it's, it's so needed. And is, is that... Um, has that your that work in that capacity been taken on by the um, education systems? First of all, say in Ireland and elsewhere. So it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's different integration, and it's called different things. Mm. So in wake up schools, we as as with Plum Village practice in general, like it's a really flexible, adaptive um, practice and nothing's trademarked. So, so it's very interesting. So often like we'll work with teachers who will go, you know, well, I am in a Buddhist monastery, although this is entirely secular, like yeah. I am in a Buddhist monastery and I don't know if my school is open to this. And we'll go like, you never need to mention Plum Village. You never need to mention um, Thich Nhat Hanh ever or Zen or anything else. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's really about finding out appropriate means because the practice is simply learning to take care of yourself. So, yes. So that yes. can look like anything. So, you know, some teachers go back to their schools and they just offer a deep relaxation. They go, mm. what if we all, during lunchtime on a Wednesday, yeah. did a deep relaxation? Or what if we had a happy lunch together where we would just enjoy ourselves and have lunch? So it can look like really different things. Yeah. Um, and so, so for me, like in Ireland, we have a mindfulness and education conference uh, once a year. And I often would give workshops on um, Plum Village practice and on embodying. And, and for me, what makes it sustainable is building community. So you just need to find some people to practice with yeah. because it creates such a strong vessel within which to be, you know, there's much more strength and walking and much more wisdom and kindness that when you're a bit frazzled, like a group of people can hold you um, safely. So I would practice with that. And we had our first wake up schools retreats for teachers um, maybe three years ago in Cork. Okay. So that was wonderful. And, um, and we try and do uh, um, teacher days of mindfulness as well and practice. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, and I would go into schools regularly and, yeah. you know, practice with teachers for a session, practice with parents, and then practice with children as well. 
And we all kind of learn the same thing, just slightly different words and then exactly adapted. Yeah. Oh no, well that's great to hear. That's really great to hear that, you know, and when they try, they, as you say, you don't have to label it as anything. It's all about self-care, looking at when you look after yourself and become self-aware of how and where you are in the world, then that radiates outwards. And, you know, what, what, there's no need to label that as whether it comes from, you know, like every religion has a way of being mindful. And so why, why try like, don't label it just yeah and i think it can just create separation when we do that you know 100 every single wisdom tradition has this contemplative strand which is yeah. about drawing yeah. in noticing and yeah. then and it tends to then have this profound connection with nature and the planet and your people mm. and, yeah um yeah. so it's kind of going in to go outwards the way yeah. as says, the way out is in so yeah totally yeah, and that transcends any religion. So, you know, so it's, you know, we're all humans hopefully trying to achieve the same thing. And the more we do this, the better world we will have. Absolutely. So I'm a, yeah, I'm <laughs> going to have to meet up with you. Really, I'm really. Yes. Um, what else? I want to ask you, gosh, yes, this month is, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what? She got <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I had read before and then I realized it was you as well. Gosh, you're in everything, hey? <laughs> I didn't know you were a part of Wake Up Schools. Um, that's great. Um, the Happiness. World Happiness Festival. Yes. Yay. Yes. Oh, I love this. So, um, yeah, um, there is, uh, the United Nations has an International Day of Happiness each year mm. on the 20th of March. And um, so a number of years ago, the United Nations unanimously resolved that happiness was a human right. And I don't mean kind of like rictus grin, no. isn't it great? But just that our ability to be well and to thrive yeah. um, was a human right. And so they, they established this day to raise awareness about the kind of ingredients of what makes mm. a happy life. Because we know that, you know, we often imagine that if I had this particular thing I'd be happy or if like this job or this fame or this amount of money or this body or this partner like there are lots of things that we imagine if I had all that I'd definitely be happy and it's yeah. never true ever 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 and we spend most of our time searching after this stuff in the hope that it'll just make us feel better yeah and the research shows that you know that can influence our sense of happiness like maybe 12 percent to 15 mm. And we know that there are people who have very little who are really happy and people who have a lot who commit suicide because they feel such despair. Uh, so we need a different paradigm of figuring out what makes a happy life or a successful life in that way. So, um, so last year we had our first World Happiness Festival, which is a week devoted to exploring and celebrating yeah. all the different ingredients of our well-being. And um, there's an online strand which curates interesting conversations with interesting people around the world. And then there's a ton of local stuff that happens. So there's kind of a main stage, yeah. which last year was in Costa Rica, this year it's in uh, Madrid. Yeah. And, and then there's loads of local things that happen. So in Ireland, um, with my little local hat on, yes. we having over 30 happiness hubs. So, we um so we developed a happiness hub pack which are 10 like research-backed proven exercises that when we do them regularly they strengthen our muscles of happiness so the ability to connect the ability to take care of yourself take care of a different a difficult emotion to deliberately embody a sense of joy or like surprise or wonder mm. or connection and and any place can be a happiness hub so family home school classroom therapy clinic um yoga class anything can be a happiness hub so people sign up and we have a little interactive map where you can see the little hubs around ireland including one in qatar because you know the diaspora you know yeah. <laughs> ireland is not physically bound necessarily so we have a teacher in uh in qatar who is creating a happiness hub with her classroom 
And um, yeah, so, so it's wonderful because it means that people can self-create according to what's appropriate for their environment. Yeah. So like libraries in Dublin, many of them are becoming happiness hubs. And it means that if a school group is coming in, they can do the practice. Or if you're just in there and as, as an adult on your own, you can go, oh, maybe I'll do a little relaxation or a little self-guided practice on this. So it's really letting us um, explore and have curiosity about what makes us tick. Yeah. No, well, yeah. Well, that's why I've called my, my, uh, my, my what do you call it? Business now is inner happy because that's what mindfulness has given me. So I really, I must talk to you more about this. I'd be very interested to um, join you in that. It, when you, when, yeah, when you talk about this, uh, for, so it's for the week, I know from next week and I've signed up online. So it's, um, when you say this is, um, so I know there's amazing speakers and you are one of them in there. There's some really, really great people. So I'll definitely be tuning in. Um, when you are creating mindful or happiness hubs around, um, is that like just for the week or is it this place, this venue becomes a happiness hub? Yeah, so one of, one of my first questions and my favorite question is, can I always be a happiness hub? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, and because there's a few things, because um, the World Happiness Festival happens during Ireland's noisiest week, in terms of it's our St. Patrick's Festival yeah. as well. So yeah. when, we, when we were working together on this last year, I was saying, you know, this is a very noisy week. So unless the festival adopts us, we should expand it for Ireland to be any time in March so that there's no pressure on having to deliver something during that particular week. Yes. So we're kind of, we're gathering people's experiences during March, but you can like be a happiness hub forever. Like that's absolutely fine. Yeah. So um, it really gives people a little space for creativity and yeah. innovation through March. And then, and then yes, as you say, then there's an online strand as well. So with my wake up schools hat on, Yes. We have been having some great conversations mm -hmm. with different um, educators and really like, you know, pioneers in terms of um, education and how we envisage what a community can be. Um, so, uh, so one of the, uh, one of the um, two teachers, actually there were two teachers who I got to speak with, um, Havin Paul, who is a man who co-established the Gross National Happiness Program in Bhutan. So like way back when, like now it's kind of becoming like super popular Gross National Happiness. But he was one of the people who really put into place, like what does Gross National Happiness mean? Mm. Like if we're taking away simply an economic model and we're going to put it in a wider context, mm. what would that mean? How would we measure it? How would we encourage it? Mm. So he is, um, he's also a teacher in the Plum Village tradition and he works a lot in Switzerland and, and Vietnam on helping to create happy schools mm -hmm. and support happy teachers. And um, uh, Lisi Havin, they, they are married and they, they work these two kind of different facets of this organization. She has established the most amazing community called the Peaceful Bamboo Family in Vietnam. And they work specifically with like profoundly autistic uh, young people mm -hmm. who now are entrepreneurs and teach their local. So the local schools come into them to learn from them how to be, how to live, how to make things. And it is just very, very inspiring. And what she was saying that was with mindfulness that actually, you know, because there is no intellectual impediment for learning mindfulness, mm -hmm. that these are great mindfulness teachers. Yeah. So I've been having amazing conversations with people, just very inspiring. Yeah, because there's so many great, so great, and a, a huge amount of speakers that you get great different perspectives. So that's well worth tuning into. What's the website again? This is actually a great time for us to have this conversation ahead oh, yes. of. of next, yeah. See, the next thing you have to do Synchronicity and faith. <laughs> So I think it's worldhappinessfest.fest. I can check now if you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, or I had, yeah. Check on your phone if you can. Um, 
or I can put a link. I'll put a link in the in our video. Yeah, I can put a link for it, and um, that's going to be really that's really good. Uh, yeah, and it's free to stream for the whole week, yeah. so no uh, financial barriers at all. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's it's also yeah, it's letting it's it's shifting that um, perception of what happiness is, you know. Um, but I yeah. think I think anybody who has um, lived <laughs> any length of time can actually, if they think about it, they see that materialism is short-lived happiness. That if you want true, lasting inner happiness, that there are there's the other ways to go, which is what will be, which is what this is uh, um, encompassing. You know, this mm. whole um, thing next week. Yeah, and it's like it's in so many across the world. We've been having Zoom calls for um, about a year on this, and right. it's amazing to connect with speakers from all around the world yeah. doing so many different things. Like some people yeah. come through yoga, through mindfulness. They're working with technology and figuring out how we can reduce. You know, we know that our brains are easily addicted, mm. and that we get a little dopamine hit every yeah. time our phone pings. Yeah. So how can we use technology for our good without it being in control of us yeah there's so many different approaches uh to take to help strengthen our own well-being and yeah. there's a lot about building community as well which i love oh i love that too oh that's great oh gosh well i'll definitely be tuning in yeah and also we were we were due to be in plum village for the world happiness festival okay so um we had an Irish week in Plum Village a couple of years back. Okay. There maybe 80 of us traveled over together and spent a week living mindfully together. And because in Ireland, when we organize retreats and um, weekends for the community, you know, it's a smallish number of people holding a lot. So we had thought, if we could just get to Plum Village, like they can take care of us and we don't need to organize anything. Yeah. yeah. So we were due to go over on this Friday. And um, uh, and Plum Village has had to take the decision to close its doors till the beginning of May in order to um, just feel stable and safe during this yeah. coronavirus. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So it gave us the opportunity to practice letting go. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I let go of my plane tickets and the gas. Yeah. And yeah. That was my idea of what I would do this week. And what we've done is we've come up with a plan B retreat, which is in um, Tala from this Friday through to next Tuesday. And it's called No Coming, No Going. <laughs> so, so a group of us, so we'll have four days of mindful living together with you know, sitting, deep relaxation, walking, eating together, sharing. Um, so it's lovely. It's a great opportunity. Oh wow! No, and is that that's it? And I've seen um, there's a, the wellness center. Is it in Tala or this one is in the Dominican Retreat Center? Oh, okay. So it is close to. It's on the same um, grounds as Saint Mary's Church. Okay. And it's a very old retreat center. It has a beautiful walled garden. Okay. Oh, uh, the most amazing tree called St. Mail Ruins tree. So it was one of the earliest walnut trees planted in Ireland in like the 1760s, maybe. It might not be entirely true. Yeah. Right, 1760s. Yeah. And when it was nearly 40 years old, so this tree was growing. And then it got struck by lightning during a terrible storm, right through to its heartwood. And the tree just split completely open. And they thought it would die. Yeah. The tree died. And now it is like the size of at least two large rooms. It looks like about 18 different trees. And it has just kept growing like oh. horizontally outwards. Yeah. And it's the most extraordinary tree. So they have a beautiful, um, they have about a thousand trees on this um, land. They have a green labyrinth. So a little low green Labyrinth oh, walk in. Yeah. It is such a lovely space. And in um in 2012, uh Thich Nhat Hanh visited Ireland with a delegation of oh. maybe 30 people and like sold out the convention center in Dublin. And we all went on retreat in Killarney, so maybe 800 people on retreat. So it's a huge time of like huge growth in mindfulness in Ireland. And yes. um 
And when they stayed in Dublin, the delegation stayed there in this Dominican retreat center. So we are literally walking in the footsteps of our teacher. Oh. Everyone else has gone before us. It's That's lovely. lovely. Gosh, that must have been really nice energy to share that space. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's funny because when the delegation were leaving the venue, they made lots of gifts to say thank you. So they gifted several calligraphies that Thich Nhat Hanh had done and they're up around the place. So there's just this beautiful oh. continuity of yeah. our ancestral wisdom traditions yeah. and our spiritual ancestor traditions as well. So it all kind of blends beautifully. I'll have to come and visit. And yeah, I, I will <laughs> definitely, I will definitely. My, I have some family in Dublin still. So um, I think we'll need to have a chat afterwards and arrange a little. Um, I would yeah, love lives to. Now. There's no escape. No, I, hey, you'll be running away from me, believe me, <laughs> but I'm persistent. Oh, it's like, I feel like I just, everything resonates so deeply with me. I'm so delighted to meet you. I really am. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. So, oh, I don't even know where to begin. You have me now on a high for days. I know it. <laughs> um, so, okay. So the last questions is, um, I know I could talk to you for hours. I know that. Um, but if, if for somebody starting mindfulness, right, if they're just knowing where to begin, where, where would you say, how or where to start? They've heard this is great. They don't know now what, what where, where am I to begin? So, um, so it's very easy if you can practice with people. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get the opportunity to be with people for, um, even a short practice or an afternoon or a morning, yeah. it really helps give you a deep taste mm -hmm. of the practice. Mm -hmm. And um, on the website mindfulnessireland.org, there are a list of community groups all around Ireland okay. um, that are mostly donation based. So you can go and taste the practice. And, um, and I help support an online group on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings that we practice before our working day starts. So we sit yeah. from seven to 7.20, a few yeah. minutes to check in together before. And that helps, you know, so practicing in community is really helpful yeah. just to give you a taste. And then we need to figure what is possible on a daily basis. Um, yeah. And usually like what I, I started at work, I started with a big photocopier button. So I remember in the late nineties, there was this, I had to photocopy maybe once every two days. And I made a commitment with that button of that photocopier that when I had put my little piece of paper in and pressed the button, I would give myself three breaths to have nowhere to go and nothing yes. to do from yeah. all the way down to my footprints. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was an old photocopier machine, so we'd go chung, 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 <laughs> labyrinth inside the photocopier. And but I remember the the freedom of maybe like five seconds or seven seconds. And it can be anything. So it can be, you know, allowing our hands to be dried by a hand dryer. It can be sitting with a cup of tea. But, but we just, all we need really is an intention to be mm -hmm. present. And then this can be a reminder for us. It can mm -hmm. be kind of an anchor yeah. that helps us be solid. And for all of us, I think we have a different easy way in. Mm -hmm. So some people, when we practice together for a while, they go, they'll go, I've been doing mindfulness for years. I just never knew that that was it yeah, yeah. because I go for a walk every morning and I am absolutely in my body, yeah. really present, not future planning, yeah. not past ruminating, really here. And they're like, is that mindfulness? Like, it sounds like mindfulness to me. Yeah. So, so it doesn't need to be hard work. Like you could do one thing that you naturally just enjoy already. Like yeah. often I practice chocolate meditation with people because that's a really easy way in that people don't associate as this grueling, should I not think, what is that about? You know, if you go, so we're going to eat chocolates, they go, okay, I know how to do that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Pleasant. So it can be um, anything. Um, it can be like literally sitting with a cup of tea, um, enjoying chocolates. There can be a light switch in your house that you know, when I turn this on, I'm going to be fully here for this moment. Yeah. Or if you use your car, you can know that when I, when I pull in and stop the car and turn off the engine, that I will just take like three breaths before I get out of the car. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything very subtly. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And as you say, and it's, it truly is instant when you think, oh gosh. And then people will be more inclined to incorporate it into more parts of their day. You say, gosh. And then slowly, slowly your whole world transforms. Yeah, it's like you create this tiny little sp sense of spaciousness. What? Yeah. Like one breath or three breaths. And then the dots start to join up during your day. And then, and then when I think we become kind of used to really being in our body just as we are, then, then you might think, oh, actually, I might try like loving kindness meditation. Mm. Or I might try just sitting for one minute or five minutes. Mm. Um, and there's loads of different guided practices and I have a bunch on um, Insight Timer or okay. Deep Relaxation is a great way in because, you know, we all want to feel at ease in our body. Yeah. So that's not hard work to go, maybe I'll just practice taking care of myself. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like we can kind of learn to, as we learn to trust our practice, then we can explore a little bit more and yes. feel that it's okay. And it doesn't need to be like, I feel that often when we start practicing, it taps into the fundamentalist in us. You know, we go, that's it. I'm going to decorate the second, the spare bedroom. <laughs> I've bought 20 books, a biodynamic cotton cushion. And like, that's just shopping and decorating. Like, that's not actually doing yeah. anything. Yeah. Because you, that's I would it. Rather, yeah. Because you can close the door to the second room and never go near it again. So I like practice where I have to trip over it. Like yes. I practiced one year with my kettle on switch, which is great. Just, and I just made a commitment. You and me, little switch. When I press you, I'm going to be really here. Yeah. And, you know, I have tea several times a day, so it was great. That, I'm the exact same. It's definitely <laughs> the Irish thing, but I, yeah, I drink a lot more tea than that, I tell you, if I'm home. And I always use that moment. So, yeah, anchoring it to something you already do. Yeah, so then a little bit, and then, and then we learn to trust it and ourselves a little bit. Yeah. And then we can try something a bit longer. Then, because when yeah. we're in that kind of fundamentalist mode, if mm. we miss a 10-minute sit one morning, we can be really disheartened and really hard on ourselves and go, well, that's just useless now. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. people are dieting and they have one biscuit and then they go, well, now I might as well eat the entire packet. Like now that I've eaten one and like one does not follow the other. Like having a no. biscuit is not the same. That's the, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we can be, so when we learn how to be a friend to ourselves, then we simply encourage ourselves on the path without it causing guilt like you know we do what we're able to do so anything that we do anytime we come home is amazing it's amazing and our like our average attention span is about eight seconds these days like, it's very low goldfish outperformance yeah it's and yeah. so we're actually up against and we've never learned to train our mind so we like we're told to pay attention quite a lot, but yeah. we're not really taught how to how, how do we yeah. pay attention? What yeah. happens when I get distracted or I'm tired or I'm hungry or I'm really bored? Like what happens when I'm doing a piece of work when I really want to be doing something else? Mm. How do I stay in there? Yeah. So, you know, this is not some effortless thing that we're talking about. It takes a little rigor. Yeah. And it really takes kindness so mm. that we can stay. And every time we get distracted and when we notice like that's amazing Just yeah giving ourselves back really kind yeah. non-judgmental so, and with compassion and when you think of in school growing up sit down calm down pay attention i'm like how like, how am i to i don't know how to do that yeah absolutely and like Even grown -ups adults. don't know how to do that either. <laughs> so it's highly ironic a grown-up saying that to people yeah um, so yeah sometimes Sitting is not appropriate, so we do a lot of walking, meditation, and movement, yeah. which can mm. be much more appropriate, mm. especially when we're feeling a lot, a lot of anger, yeah. a lot of worry. Yeah. Like sometimes sitting still is brutal. Yeah. It's really harsh. Yeah. So we need to know how to not make ourselves a war zone. Yes. Like the should be yeah. a kindness yeah. and a gift, mm. even when it's poignant and tender and, you know, yeah. brings up our our old suffering like we just need to know how to be a very safe place to come home yeah to, yeah you know? and that's so. also very individual so it's about no one thing fits all to try different things and whatever yeah because we've all been through very different things where we're, we're made up differently so 
there's no one way and that's yeah yeah that would be another thing is don't you know and when you're going to somebody for it say or a group it's you know we find different people resonate with us different mentors voices yeah yeah don't so just, yeah. yeah there is something for first, everyone yeah it's why there's nothing really to believe in which is the good thing about it like there's nothing for you to believe in this is like a little self-experiment that you're doing of like inquiry this makes me feel better this makes me feel worse this works for me for some people like having soft music on is brilliant for some people guided meditation is brilliant some people love silence some people love getting outdoors some people love like 10 minutes every single day and for some people it's going to be one hour on a saturday morning so like you do you it's perfect you do you and don't judge you if you're not if it's not going the way you want don't judge you and be kind to you and give your give you a big hug give you what you need and that's yeah yeah it's funny i was thinking about this this morning uh, in terms of touch that you know at the moment when I'm in town, like I can see that people are very aware of their bodies in a very different way because of coronavirus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Aware of touching or not touching. So human beings, like we need touch to be well. Mm. So if it's not possible for you to be in contact with other people, like you need to keep yourself safe, but but like hold your hand. Oh yes. You a little bit. Yeah. Because your body is always listening. Like your body's, so if you tell your body, you are really safe, like I'm here with you. Your body believes that straight away, yeah. like we're human animals. So take good care of yourself at this moment where we're being given advice to isolate ourselves. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yes. And give yourself that, What give yours, be your own best friend and give yourself what you need in a compassionate, kind way. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. And I'd say with the practice, um, often when we come to, we put our really serious hats on, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do this every day and yeah. I'm going to sort out my anxiety issue this year and I'm yeah. going to do this. Yeah. And we can treat ourselves a bit like a big self-help project. <laughs> um, you know, we're not a self-help project. Like, this is just our life. It's a little messy. We yeah. hold off just... a little bit. We're contradictory. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, this is just our life. Yeah. So... There's nothing to be fixed so much. What we're interested yes. in is helping to take care of our suffering and nourish our joy. So don't forget to play. Don't forget to feel joy and wonder and excitement and yeah. you know the real kind of that effervescent energy yeah. that we felt much more naturally when we were kids. Yeah. Really important to to keep that fresh. And that's what you exude, Orla. <laughs> uh, I'm like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have to look in that diary and get hold of you. <laughs> yeah uh, tell me because it's the clock is ticking but i am um, i'll just i'll stop our recording and i want to thank you so much for joining me and i'll put all your links of your your work and everything and where people can find you in the below the video <laughs> okay thank you orla thank you so much what a joy i know like it is the 11th is break for me <laughs> i know